A Beechcraft 1900D is making a detour to see La France, which is docked at Quiberon Bay. What caused this flight to suddenly disintegrate over the bay? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. I'm Christy. And, and I'm Kaylin. Oh. <laughs> oh, sorry. Kaylin. Kaylin's <laughs> back. Kaylin's back. Kaylin requested to be back. And then not that long later, we're like, uh, we, we need actually a need somebody. And I got more of a heads up than last time. So yes. here we are. More than a couple hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A couple days. Yes, that was definitely a significant amount more. We actually yes. knew last week, but we are bad. At we this. were on vacation and then very tired. When we I'm got back from judging. vacation. So. so I literally would have been like a couple hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so. Whatever. I appreciate your flexibility and the help. Yep. Because it is very needed. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate the getting last to hang out with you guys one. for a reason that is not a going to the. Yes. Graveyard. Yes. I. There's a few people that rejoin Patreon. Like uh, Kate. Welcome back. Yes. There are a few people. I didn't even know Kate left. I think we have some new ones too, but I don't. At this point, I'm I am getting to the think point. So I'm getting to the point where I'm not sure if they're new or if they're just rejoining or they got declined and know, then right. had to rejoin because right. Patreon's weird. I know that Patreon can still tell us because it will tell us if we fulfilled the things or not, or it should. That's the idea. But I think Aaron is new. Question mark. Hello. No, I think we thanked them last time. But if we didn't, hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you all for supporting my wonderful friends. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all for supporting us. Also, no one has answered any of the trivia questions yet. Bro, I looked at them and went, I don't know any of these. <laughs> <laughs> what Just are they? For March, you're saying? Yeah. Which has we only can, been we five can days. look at them for... It's only been five days when too. we're recording yeah. this. But I looked at them and I was like, I don't know any of these. I know at least one of them. What, you made you know them. All no, no, I know the. Oh God, that came out wrong. I know all of the answers, but I felt like everyone should know at least one of them. Like most of you know the name of my cat. Yeah, I don't. You should. Wow. Oh, wow. I do. Okay. Obviously. Well, well duh. I so I have talked about her. Here, I have the questions right here. What is Christie's favorite ice cream? Oh, I know. See, what I is know Nick's that one. favorite ice cream? I also know, I also that, know one. that one. What's Miranda's favorite brand of whiskey? That one's easy. What's her favorite version of it? And what's the name of Miranda's cat? Yeah, some of these are pretty I don't easy. know what my favorite version of it would be. Because I have a couple favorites of that. For, That's fair. I feel like there are at least two answers. Yeah. For most... There's one regularly provided one, and there's one seasonal one. Yes. Now, I will say that our patrons tend to have a leg up here because... We talked we about used this to, on the post episode. Well, and we used to play the what's your favorite game to get responses out of the patrons in the comments. We haven't done that in a while. We would do that at the end of every single one of our post, post episodes. episodes. And... I know we did favorite ice cream, and I know we did favorite drink or cocktail. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, yeah, those should that. be in there somewhere. I don't listen to the post episodes. That's okay. I don't have that much time in my life. Believe me, I understand. Um, we make them for the people that do. <laughs> the people that literally thrive off of just listening to us talk for hours. But I just knew last people. month's from knowing you guys, so. We also give way too much information on ourselves. <laughs> You don't have to tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) Already got embarrassed once. It's fine. Sorry. It's fine. Didn't mean to bring up a sore spot. It's fine. (laughs) He Um, apologized. 
we're okay. Yes, it's we're fine. good. We're good. Everything's fine. Uh, that being said, we were on vacation, so we, we didn't have were. a post episode. Sorry. But there'll be extra long ones for the next couple because we have to talk about what happened yes, when we were gone. We so do. Stay tuned. You see what happened was. What we, happened was. And to add to that, we were. So re- there you were. So right. there so I was. God. There we was. <laughs> so <laughs> to add to that, we're recording this one a week late for a multitude of reasons, primary of which was. I we, like sleep. We arrived Sunday morning, not intentionally, very early. And we went, nope. Nope, this is not <laughs> happening today. So we are a whole week late. So this is also coming out much closer to when it is being recorded than normal. Yes. On top of that, I was also sounding much worse than I am currently. You might have You noticed. mean we? Yeah, you too. But you went back to normal way faster than I did. I am still sounding like this. I am sound way better than I did even like three days ago. You can't hear liquid in my lungs anymore. No. That's a terrifying thing to say. Isn't it? I actually have a voice. That's a start because for like the last week, it's been in and out depending on the time of day, whether or not use my voice, like all these things. So ah, yes, good times. The fact that it actually exists right now while we're recording, that's a good thing. I'm going to try to hang on to it. Also, so stop talking. <laughs> no, I have to talk. That's not the point. Right now you don't. <laughs> okay, so I recently updated the list, our recommendations list. Ah, yes. If... You have recommended something, and we have not answered you. Message us, please. Yes. So it's we're, on, probably, we're on vacation. It's probably on the list, but our vacation brains have not been helping us. I literally did it today. So if you have not gotten a response. So if you have not gotten a response, especially on Patreon, like if you sent us a Patreon message, it's probably on the list, unless I told you otherwise. Right. But- I have emailed everybody. Everyone should know where it is on the list. Right. If you do not know or you are confused or you sent one in a while ago and it hasn't been like we haven't discussed it or we haven't talked to you, please email it again or like say, hey, are you alive? Because I probably did not go back far enough. So Right. We're going to have to extend our list relatively soon. I'm on it. We're coming to the end of it. Get out of my way. Well, no, we, are- we extended it because of MH17. So. Right now, we're booked out until January 23rd of next year, so we're still working close to that one-year mark, but not quite. Okay, I extended it through May of 2025. Excellent. Yes, I see that now. Good job, Chris. Okay. Doing the Lord's work. What are we covering today, Nick? Today, we are covering Proteus Airlines Flight 706. Thanks to Tiernan. Yes. For recommending this episode. Thanks to Tiernan. I've literally been staring at this document for hours today, <laughs> which is how I know that. So. Yes. And obviously you can tell that because Kaylin is here, Miranda is well aware of what happens in this one. That, this one's pretty stupid. Yeah, I'm that, not going to lie to you. That is because this episode, it ties into very early era for us when we were watching Air Disasters and Miranda binged the whole thing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is in the original one that we watched. It is. It is because this is in season 10. Told me earlier. It's in season 10. If it's in season 10 of Air Disasters, you have you know about it because yeah. you've seen every single one of those. Yep. Because that is also when the... That's when we started watching was when season 10 was airing. Well, so yes. So Claus? Yes, primarily. The Tenerife. That's, yeah, when we decided to watch Tenerife and then binge all of 10. Yes. So, that. That. All right. This accident occurred on July 30th of 1998. So we were alive for this. Technically. Barely. Yes. <laughs> More so me than y'all. <laughs> I'm only like three months gear. younger than you. Yeah, you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Not that that means I remember any of this, but... Yeah, that's no. why I said technically. Yes. This was a Beach 1900 date with the tail number Foxtrot-Golf Sierra Juliet Mike. And this aircraft, we've talked about the Beach 1900 in the past, just for a refresher. It's a 19-seat twin-engine turboprop. Mm-hmm. It falls into that weird 19-seat category. While I'm on that topic, I yeah, thought I would BT bring up... dubs. I thought I would bring up the fact that I was corrected, and you are correct, and I even thought about that... About the sob. After the episode, I was just really tired when we were recording that yeah. episode. Not that I'm not today, but I did remember to bring this up. I'm the pretty Saab, sure also, when I covered a Saab 340 in the yeah. episode, there were more than 19 people on board. Yes, so. there were, and that's because of Saab 340, yes, is one of the 30-some-odd-seaters, which... Yes, that is also a weird, strangely common category of aircraft, these 30-seaters. You have the Embraer 120, the Saab 340, and the Jetstream 31 all kind of fall in that weird category of 30-some-odd seats, plus the Dornier jets. So, In any case, Nick mistakenly said... I did. 19, and it but, was more, and you corrected, and you are correct. Right. This is one of those weird 19-seat categories where it's literally just 19 seats. This, the lawn darts, there's a series of these just 19-seat aircraft for whatever reason, not 20, not 21, not 18, 19 seats. For real, for real this time, though? Yes, for real, for real. <laughs> and the whole reason that they have 19 seats is because every single one of these aircraft that they designed with these had one major design problem that they all solved the same way, which is one, where do we put the cargo? And two, we have an extra space in the back because there's just a back wall, not a toilet. So they put a third seat right in the middle (laughs) in the last row. So it's normally a 1-1 all the way back until you get to the last row, in which case it's just a bench with three seats in the back. All these aircraft solved the problem because they put a cargo hold right behind the back wall and not a toilet. So. Okay. So hopefully you don't have to go pee. This is why... The 19-seat category is very strange, but not very flexible. They're all exactly the same, basically. Yeah. Yep. This was a flight from Lyon Satellos Airport to Lorient, Lanbihuet, or Bihuet Airport. I don't know. This one's... That's a you name. You are the only one here who speaks French. I know, and that's a name. Mm-hmm. Not like a word, so I don't, I don't, That's names name, get hard. Not a word. <laughs> names get hard in French. Hey, listen. So, anyways, from Lyon to Lorient. Those are the cities. Lyon in France to Lorient. Lorient. From France to France. Yes. This is an intra-France flight. This is a very... Domestic. France, yes. France domestic is flight. not a big place. Country. No. It is big enough, though. You'd be surprised. It takes about as long to cross France as it does Colorado. So... Yeah, but so Colorado is really a state and France is a country. I'm aware. <laughs> yes. But it's not as small as, like, Belgium, where you can cross it in, like, an hour. That's true. <laughs> Belgium is a small country. It is a very small country. So That somehow has a lot of world wars happen in it. Yeah, that's, that's just... That's because, right unfortunately, Belgium's in the middle of everything. <laughs> yes, it's in the we middle will, of... We will talk about that in the post-episode. Yes, yes we will. It's in the middle of the three countries that we don't like We hyper-fixated on World War II <laughs> while we were gone. So. Yes. And got chocolate. Yes. Yes. They're unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So Lyon is in the kind of southwest, mostly just direct west of France. And then Lorient is on, or sorry, in the east. And then Lorient is in the west. Lyon is in the east side of France, like literally not terribly far from the border with Switzerland. And Lorient is on the coast. So. Nito. Yep. In the west. There are no names for the crew, but the captain was 31 years old. He had 3,072 hours at the time, of which 1,356 were on the beach 1900. Mm, newer but somewhat experienced first officer was 27 years old makes me feel yeah (laughs) makes me feel great about my life yep had 1016 hours total at the time of which 361 
were on the not very many beach 1900 no god nick why don't you have a thousand hours on aircraft i don't just because of money yeah i probably have way more than that in flight sim but that's how most of the flight sim world is at the on the two crew plus 12 passengers including two babies boarded the flight to l'oreal and that just made everything sad yep the first officer was to be the pilot flying while the captain was to be the pilot monitoring for this flight Flight departed Lyon at 12.21 p.m. local time. So, middle-of-the-day flight. Takeoff climb and cruise were normal. The flight cruised at 16,000 feet, as you do in these little birdies. 1.41 p.m. and 44 seconds. So, this has now been better part of an hour and 20 minutes. The flight contacted Breast Control, requesting a descent. The air traffic controller subsequently cleared the flight to descend to 5,000 feet. The flight crew acknowledged and then requested a course deviation to the west to fly over Quiberon Bay to see a large passenger ship called Le France. Creative. That was anchored there. Yes, they were <laughs> so creative. It was like this really great ship, though. Like It is a grand... The pride of France. Yes, it is a very grand ship, a passenger ship belonging to France, and it was larger than the Titanic. It is just because it's named Le France, and it's very It's a patriotic. BFD. Yes, it is that. If you don't know what that stands for, please Google that. I am currently the SS France. Yes, the SS France. It was renamed. It's a Champagne General Transatlantique Ocean Liner. Did did you just figure out what BFDC is? Yeah, I think so. Okay, good. (laughs) Fantastic. Anyways, so this whole thing, it's a very grand thing when it actually comes back into French waters. Like, people love to see it there because it's a very patriotic thing, which is really ironic because the boat was shortly thereafter renamed the Norway. (laughs) (laughs) How shortly thereafter? By the time the report for this came out... It was already called the Norway. They were writing the Norway, formerly La France. Why? Yes. I don't know. It probably changed hands, you are, companies, you are correct. whatever. It also was called the SS Norway. It was also called the SS Blue Lady. Okay. Well, at least that one's not a country. It was bright blue, to be fair. The ship was big and blue. It said that it changed in, like, the name changed in 1980. To La France? Mm, no, to, to Norway. Norway. I don't know. I don't know. It kept saying Norway, oh, formerly La France. It was sold to Norwegian Cruise Line after five years of out of service. Well, isn't that ironic? That's our so cruise, now, that's cruise our, line of choice. Yeah, Norwegian Cruise Line owns it. It's Is it still? still? It shouldn't be. It's old. Hold on. It was old on. at the time. Hold on. Hold, Hold on, on a, a minute. Hold on Hold a minute. Hold on a minute. Holes. It says, <laughs> this is Wikipedia, so. Grain of salt. Grain of salt. It says it was rechristened in April 14th, 1980 as the SS Norway. Okay, in either case, it's the pride of France. It's the ship that's in the bay. At the time, France was enamored by this thing. It was large. Stupid, egomaniacal name. Yes, it was anchored in Quiberon Bay, and that's about all (laughs) there is to it. We'll talk more about the actual ship at the end of the episode. Because I just saw something and I was like, what? So, okay, the, we'll tea. Wait. the tea. We'll wait till the end of the episode to talk about that. All right, good, great. All right. Anyways, it's anchored in the middle of this bay. Had been for a day. If you ever want to find the Wikipedia page for this, you can look up just Keeberone Bay. Yes, you can. If you can figure out how to spell that. Fun fact, Keeberone Bay battle, the battle of Keeberone Bay is also very much a prominent thing. So, yes, it's that same place. 
The air traffic controller acknowledged and cleared the flight to fly toward Quiberon Bay, which is not terribly far at all from Lorient, be it that it's on the coast, but it's slightly south of Lorient. 1.49 p.m. and 40 seconds, the crew contacted Lorient Approach Controller, which asked the flight to contact again once they actually reached 5,000 feet, because they were still descending. Flight crew acknowledged and then asked for a lower altitude in order to see the ship. The air traffic controller cleared the flight down to 3,700 feet. 1.51 p.m. and 3 seconds, while flying at 3,700 feet, the crew asked to reduce speed to 190 knots, and the air traffic controller granted that request stating that there did not appear to be much traffic in the area. 1.52 p.m. in 16 seconds, the air traffic controller advised the crew to maintain, quote, Victor, end quote, conditions, as he was not aware of all of the VFR traffic over the bay, to which the crew acknowledged and stated that they were flying in good visual conditions. So, Victor, meaning visual, visual. conditions. This is not super common. Most of the time, you just say visual. Basically, the whole point was he didn't have tabs on all of the VFR traffic in the area, the visual flight rules traffic, just people that were just flying around for funsies. To look at the ship? To look at the ship. And that's a whole thing we'll talk about later on. Not foreshadowing, but I am foreshadowing. 100% foreshadowing. Dun dun. Dun dun. So basically, they were told to just maintain visual contact with other aircraft in the area anyways, even though they were still considered to be on an instrument flight rule flight plan. They were still talking to the air traffic controller and being controlled entirely by them. 1.53 p.m. and 21 seconds, the flight crew decided to do a 360-degree turn around the ship for the passengers to see the ship. This meant canceling their IFR flight plan at the time and switch over to VFR. So they would just be flying around for fun at that point. I love that they're just chilling like, let's look at the boat. Exactly. That's not foreshadowing. A lot of people right now are probably thinking, what? 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 You're right. <laughs> You're right. Because, yes, no, this isn't normal, and we'll talk about that later on, too. <laughs> Foreshadow. The flight crew notified the air traffic controller of this plan, and the air traffic controller acknowledged and cleared the flight to fly VFR, canceling their IFR at 1.54 p.m. The flight crew then decided to descend down to 2,500 feet, then subsequently down to 2,000 feet for a better view of the ship. This is their prerogative once your VFR... As long as you maintain within regulations the rules of distancing and everything, you are allowed to do so. They can choose their own altitude, and so they did. The aircraft entered the left 360-degree turn, giving a clear view of the large ship floating in the bay, surrounded by tons of little boats and yachts just off the left wing, because everybody wanted to see this thing. The pride of France. The pride just of France. Just to be clear. La France! Except that it, it wasn't for very much longer. <laughs> Just saying. Hey, at the time... <laughs> the pride of France. The pride of goes. France. La France. Okay. I refer to it as La France. because La France. That's how they refer to it. Yes, it is. 1.57 p.m. in 10 seconds. As the aircraft was nearing the end of its 360-degree turn, they contacted the Lorient Tower controller to inform them that they will be ending the turn soon and would like to fly direct course back to Lorient, or direct to Lorient. This was the last time that the flight would be heard from. The air traffic controller acknowledged and cleared the flight to fly direct to the airport just moments after this transmission at 1.58 p.m. The aircraft suddenly shook violently and broke apart. That's nice. Yes, yeah. so great. Have we foreshadowed enough? Did you figure out what happened? I mean, there's a few guesses, but... Okay. Be it that there were a I lot of... I want to be Miranda. Right. Yes, fair enough. And Chris Deal yelled. <laughs> <laughs> Miranda's got a look on her face. It's fine. She feels called out. 
<laughs> she should feel called out. She's getting too good at this. Christy, you know too much. Me. Anyways, be it that they were over a bay full of people, you know, boats everywhere. Yeah. Yes. And a big boat with a lot of people. Yep. A lot of people saw this happen. Tons of onlookers on the boats in the bay. They watched as this airplane fell apart and fell in large pieces down into the bay. It actually didn't strike any boats, amazingly. It did not hit anything on the ground. But no one actually saw what happened. No, they just heard a boom, looked up, and saw the airplane falling from the sky. It do be like that sometimes. It do be like that sometimes. It do be like that in this case. Thank you. It was immediately apparent to all that witnessed the crash that nobody would survive that accident. All 14 on board, unfortunately, perished. That is the case. They found that out pretty immediately. Large portions of this airplane fell straight down, and it scattered actually relatively far. So this was quite the hunt because it was all in the water. But that's what I've got. I could go into uh, They had so much more detail on the wreckage versus the actual history flight. I did not feel that necessary. Yeah, you Mm -hmm. did say your part was short, but geez. It's not the shortest. No. My part's going to be real short. I think the one the other day was even shorter. Uh-huh. Last yeah. episode. Oh, well, I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah. Nope. It comes out real on short. Tuesday. Yeah, it's real short. <laughs> last week's came out on Monday night. That's because we You're were up. Brussels. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... Time changes. I was like, why is it coming out at 8 p.m. on a Monday? Yep, it was because it was 4 a.m. in Brussels. That makes so. sense. Time changes. Oh, yeah. Broke it. Anyway, Sorry. this investigation was performed by the... BEA? Uh, yes, it's the BEA. Nope, I'm you, not even going to... No! no. <laughs> no <laughs> I wrote it out for you! Oh my god, why? <laughs> I love... The Bureau Enquête d'Analyse. D'Analyse. God, there's no way I could do that. The I, BEA. I'm not, I'm not good at the it BEA. either. To be honest, right now, I'm not great at it either because the whole thing, like I can't, it's just... My, <laughs> my face won't do the thing. Brain isn't braining. Brain isn't braining right now. The Beach 1900D was equipped with both a CVR and FDR, which were recovered at sea two days after the crash. Once recovered, they were put in boxes of fresh water to prevent corrosion. All 30 minutes of the CVR were able to be played back without issue. The FDR, however, not so much, was damaged, but the encasement protected the memory card and 100 flight hours of data was acquired. That's oh, marvelous. That's nice. That's very that good. fantastic. Granted, this report was translated using Google. Woo! It yes, said it was. 100. I'm assuming that's what that means, but it seems weird. I don't know. We're going with it. Even though investigators knew the general area of the crash site, they were not able to immediately locate the wreckage of the Beach 1900D. In the meantime, they interviewed eyewitnesses and air traffic control. These discussions with ATC revealed that Kiberon Bay wasn't even on the scheduled flight path to Royal. Oh, no. For some reason, the crew had requested a detour over the bay to see the cruise ship. Seeing no conflicting traffic, air traffic control cleared them to detour after making them aware that they were not able to provide any information on traffic in the area. Okay, that information's a little disturbing, that a professional flight crew seemed to just detour on a whim. Yup. But it still doesn't explain the disintegration of the aircraft. But the interviews with eyewitnesses provided a lead. There were dozens of general aviation sightseeing aircraft in the area that would have been flying too low to be seen from Lorient's radar. Could this have been a mid-air collision? Bum bum. Investigators found the black boxes, and therefore the rest of the wreckage, using the built-in underwater locator beacon, or ULB. And amidst the wreckage of the Beach 1900D with its white and blue livery, or livery, I don't like people who say that, but whatever. (laughs) Works either way. They found aircraft parts with red paint. It did not have red paint. It did a little on the tail and logo, but not this much red. 
Some closer scrutiny resulted in the determination that there was a second aircraft, and the second aircraft was a Cessna. Though what kind was up for debate? Small. 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 Single engine. Because they found the nose cone. And they're like, that looks like a Cessna. I don't know what kind of Cessna, but it's a Cessna. Very small. Small. Eventually, an airport 10 miles inland named Va? Van. V-A-N-N-E-S. Reported that a private Cessna 177 left and never returned. Well, I guess we figured out that mystery. Yep. The aircraft, tail number Foxtrot Golf Alpha Juliet Echo, was flown by 70-year-old retired airline pilot Francis Gilibert. I don't know if that's how the correct French Yeah, you're actually pretty nearing close. Good job, Christy. Who had over 15,000 flight hours. Holy. With over 13,000 of those being a captain. He was an airline captain. Mm-hmm. So he knows, he, the man knows what he's doing. Yep. They reported that he had left to go see La France in Quiberon Bay. What a surprise. Joining dozens of GA aircraft doing the exact same thing. Yeah, yep, it turns out it was that really busy there. So we know they collided. The pieces are found together. Right. The 177, for those that are like, wait, you're talking about a 172? No, we're not. Look it up. The 177 is called the Cardinal. This is a specifically a 177RG, which almost all of them are RGs. It was Cessna's attempt at making a little more aerodynamic version of a 172, even though they also made a 172RG. And the problem with the 177 is that they didn't put a more powerful engine in it. They hardly even put it's so a small. better engine <laughs> at all. It looks like a Cessna. And so the whole thing is... It is a Cessna. It is. But it's got a little more, like, tilt it's to the windshield. sleeker. Yeah, it's got a little more tilt to the windshield to be sleeker, and then it's got retractable landing gear to make it sleeker, to make so it it's faster. it's a sport mode Cessna. <laughs> Theoretically, yes, but it turned out the 172 still has just about as good a performance, and there was no need to really make this airplane. Boom. It's just a more expensive, less produced version of a 172, basically. So, ultimately, it was never successful. I mean, it, there was quite a few of them out there. I knew some people that had them even locally, but they're still like the 172 is still a better, more reliable airplane. Less things to break when you don't have retractable gear. Just saying. Does 182 have retractable gear? Some do. You can get a 182 RG. That is a very expensive thing to fix. Does your dad have a one? No, he does not. Does RG mean retractable gear? Yes, it does. Thank you. And my dad, actually, the flight school that he worked at for a little while, and that's going to change it, but they had a 182 RG. And just to give perspective on why this is not a good idea. They're relatively rare. When the shimmy damper on the front wheel Mm -hmm. broke, all it needed was one bolt, but it's a very specific proprietary bolt to that part. Cessna doesn't really make them anymore. They had to source one from a junkyard for one of these airplanes. It was a $1,500 bolt. I also love that its official name was a shimmy what? Shimmy damper. What a great name. Yes, and it does exactly what it sounds like. It dampens the shimmy. Yes, it does. Okay, anyway, so investigators were wondering how had such an experienced pilot, as well as the flight crew of Flight 706, managed to collide? Investigators turned to the cockpit voice recorder to determine, A, why did they detour? Yup. B, how did they not avoid the Cessna? It's a good question. Two good questions, actually. Yes. I bet you're about to answer them, too. Uh-huh. In listening to the CVR, investigators found that at 1.34 in the afternoon, a passenger came into the cockpit. Oh, God. Big and- red flag number one. <laughs> well, I guess this was 98, so. Yeah. And asked, you are not passing over Kiberon because there is La France at anchor. 
The flight crew went about getting the clearances for the detour and eventually went so far as to ask for their IFR to be cancelled, at which time ATC was cleared of all traffic monitoring responsibility, and see and avoid was entirely the responsibility of the flight crew. It was their responsibility to not collide with other planes. They were on a visual flight rules flight plan at that point. Yep. You have to keep your eyes out for traffic. It's your problem, not mine. Oh, and guess what? The passenger was in the cockpit the whole time. Oh, no. Which, by the way, go the back to your seat. What right? the hell are you doing? Seriously, I know. Why did they not say anything about he should be in a seat? I don't know. And that's what I could discern from the way they described the CVR. I didn't actually go read the CVR. I don't even know if it was in the report. But they basically said that the rest of the flight, they were talking to the passenger. So I, I can't it. help but think. Anyway. I hate it. I hate it, too. Distracting. At 155, the crew noted two other aircraft flying around them, but neither was the accident Cessna, and the recording ended at 158 in one second. So where did the Cessna come from? Uh Uh-huh. What was of note was one thing that was missing from the recordings. They never heard the accident Cessna on the radio, Mm -hmm. so they never knew it existed. That's not good. Which is odd because they're flying in the same airspace. Well, as it turns out, the Beechcraft have remained on the radio with Lorient while the Cessna was tuned into Quiberone Airport, as it should be, so they never knew of each other's existence. Because one of them was being a dumb Yeah. Okay, but that still doesn't explain how they didn't visually see one another. Unless... You all missed my hand motions, and that makes me sad. They were very dramatic. Thank you. Unless... (laughs) To truly determine what each aircraft saw approach the accident, investigators had to reconstruct the collision using the wreckage. Based on where red paint was found on the Beechcraft wingtip and fuselage, as well as where the Cessna's propeller cut into the wing and fuselage, investigators determined that the Cessna approached the Beechcraft from the right side of the Beechcraft and was descending into them. The impact severed the tail of the Beechcraft, which was found 400 meters away from the rest of the wreckage and was found along with many pieces of the Cessna. That's wacky. They wouldn't be... I mean, the Cessna could see... No, let me keep going. Just by, okay, let me just say, by looking at the diagram, which I'll try to remember think. to put in the blog post. Yes. Because sometimes a very I don't. It's diagram. It is. It is. You would think that the Cessna pilot could see the Beechcraft because it's literally going into the side of it. But he could not. This information, coupled with a flight data recorder and radar data, limited albeit, helped investigators plug the situation into a simulator to determine visual capabilities of the Beechcraft flight crew. At the time of the accident, the crew was preparing to continue their approach to Lorient, but were still in a 17-degree left bank and finishing up their circle around La France. The simulation showed that there was a period of time where the Cessna technically would have been in the line of sight out of the front windshield, but it would have been much too far to see properly. They were too small in the windshield. By the time it was close enough to be big enough to be seen, there was a different problem. You may recall that the first officer was the pilot flying, meaning he was probably nose down in his instruments trying to figure out how to get to L'Oreal. Oh, and it came on that side of the plane, didn't it? Yep. The pilot monitoring, the captain, was sitting on the left side of the aircraft. Picture for me, if you will, that you are the captain sitting in the left seat and you are trying to see an aircraft approaching from your right, but your right wing tip is up. Turns out at the moment of impact, the Cessna was actually below what the captain could see past the first officer on the right side. Oh, I was meaning that the Cessna pilot should have been able to see. Next part. Okay, because I didn't think that the Beechcraft would be able to see it. That oh, no, they could it, it doesn't look like they No. Could. No. But also the Cessna pilot. <laughs> okay, so what could the Cessna see? Investigators did a study on the blind spots of the Cessna 177 and found that the posts in the cockpit... Oh, oh this is no. that episode! <laughs> 
similar to the post in your car, actually. Create blind spots on each side from 55 degrees from the front to 35 degrees from the front, which would have obscured the beach craft as it passed from left to right for about 30 seconds. Oh, that's terrifying. This is actually a pretty significant blind spot. Yeah, yeah that and sounds this is, like a lot. This is actually a noted problem with the Cardinal, the 177, because the 172s have pretty much vertical posts. And so these guys have slanted posts. These have very long slanted posts down the windshield, so it's a big problem, actually. Yeah. Now it's about this time that it is worth mentioning that the Cessna pilot announced he was descending from 3,000 to 1,500 feet. So the Beechcraft is below him as he is descending into it, and there's quite a large blind spot in the front. Oh, no. Because it is a single-engine aircraft. And you know where that engine is? In the front. Oh, no. In the front, in the front. So right as the beach craft left the blind spot caused by the post in the windshield, it entered the blind spot caused by the engine. Oh, no. The pilot only would have seen the beach craft after it was too late, if he even saw them at all. Air disasters depicted him as seeing them at the very last second. I'm not 100% sure he would have seen them at all. I feel like it almost would have been better to not see them at all. The way they depicted it was slightly traumatizing. I'm sure that sounds horrifying. Making matters worse, which was not mentioned in air disasters, he was flying into the sun. Oh, no. Yeah. And on top of all of this, he's probably looking at the damn boat. Yeah. Yes. That was kind of the reason everyone was there. Yep. You're correct. So again, the odds of him actually seeing this other aircraft are low. Pretty low. So there are diagrams that Moran will hopefully put on the blog post that show where the blind spot lines up with the beach craft's course, flight path. Do you have the report readily available? Uh, I just want to show Kaylin the blind spot. It's pretty significant. and it was Yeah, that degrees you said was pretty significant. Well, it was also made worse. It was like right below where I was looking. Made worse by the fact that they were turning. It left them in the blind spot longer. Mm -hmm. So is the green line them or the red line? Yeah, which one's which here? The green Green line line is the Cessna. The red line is the Beechcraft. And that gray triangle is the the blind blind spot. spot. That's crazy. That's awful. Because that's a lot of a blind spot. Yes. And you can see a bunch of tiny planes flying around. And you can see how long they were in that blind spot. A long time. And that's the whole problem. Yeah. So now you may have a question. Why didn't Lorient ATC warn the Beechcraft of the Cessna? Two reasons. One of which is most obvious. They were under VFR rules. So ATC was no longer providing traffic service to them as they had accepted the responsibility of see and avoid. Yep. Yep. I'm not looking at you. Said you were fine. I'm not watching you. This not is your my circus, problem. Not yeah. my it's monkeys. Not, well, and general aviation aircraft, especially the older they are, don't have transponders, so ATC can't pick them up anyway. Well, it's that interesting that you mentioned thing. transponders. That's and dependent if it's on a turned few things. on too. Right. So if it's about not turned that. on, wait to hit oh, the nail on the no. head. <laughs> More prevalent though, causal, as determined by investigators, though I dispute that. I actually do too, <laughs> and we'll explain that in a minute. Was the fact that the Cessna did not have his transponder on. This is a primary tool in the aircraft that assists air traffic control in picking up their presence as sometimes they can be too small for radar. But he also was not breaking any rules. France at the time did not require the use of a transponder. That has changed a lot. Well, yeah. Here are my my issues. They were under VFR. Yep. Why would anyone tell them? Right. Yep. It wasn't required. B, they were... The lowest that the radar could see was 3,500 feet. Within the bay. That, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the bay, the lowest that the radar would work is 3,500 feet, which is why. They were only the cleared beach, to 3,700 feet at first. The beach was cleared down to 3,700 while still under IFR, and then they decided to cancel knowing full well they couldn't go below that. 
while still in IFR. So, because then they wouldn't have any radar contact. And you might have noted that the air traffic controller actually stated to them at one point, I don't have all the visuals on every aircraft in VFR conditions over Kiberon, so it's your responsibility. So the jump, vector thing. jumping ahead a little bit, I dispute it being a causal factor, though it is determined to be one, though I do agree that it should be in the recommendations, and it is. The only reason, we'll that, they, that. The only reason that they think it should be causal is because... It meant that while the aircraft, while the 177 was en route from Vamp to Kiberon Bay, the Lorient controller couldn't ever see him. So he couldn't ever warn the beach about. But that's so like, how would you know exactly because exactly that that aircraft would become a problem at that specific point yeah, in time? Right, because ultimately there was a lot of aircraft yeah, in the bay. There was, so how do you warn them about? Yeah, it, if right, you warn you them can't. about one, you got to warn them about all. Right, and it didn't matter because once they were in the bay and all these other aircraft were around them, it's just too much. It's their responsibility. BFR, yep. So I don't think I've ever disputed anything the BEA has said before. I'm disputing this. Yes. I don't think it's causal. I agree. Okay. We're going to take a brick break. And then I get to read all the other stuff that he normally reads. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hasn't been mile high for a bit. Yeah, I know. And we're I back. that's the point, right? Oh, uh, well, yep. We're, we're back. back. We're back. We're doing the thing again. Yeah. So we're we're having this discussion about when it was the Norway and when it was the France. It was the Norway when it was stationed there, but everyone knows it as La France because it was built in France for... I will get into it at the end of the episode. It's fine. I have it all pulled up on Wikipedia. Okay. <laughs> See how excitedly her arms are flailing. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm skipping the first couple findings because they're not pertinent to the situation. Okay. This was fine and this was fine and this was fine. Pretty cool. much. Cool. So, first finding, the crew of the Beach 1900D was unaware of the presence of the Norway, and he was informed- Of the, of the Cessna? No, the ship, the Norway. Oh. He was informed of this by a passenger. God. Yes. <laughs> Which is why that whole thing started. He was also unaware of the Cessna. <laughs> <laughs> also, yes. Yes. Yeah. The crew's attention was focused on the liner as soon as it was located in Kiberon Bay. So once they were able to see it, they were like, we got to go around it. Look at the pretty, look at the pretty ship. Look at the pretty ship. Would you just look at it? Would you look, look at, at the boat? We're also going to look at it. Oh, wait. <laughs> bad oh, wait, idea. We're flying. I mean, they did look at it. They did successfully finish looking at but it. it was a bad idea. Yeah. As, I think every time we've covered a deviation, it has never gone well. Yeah. Ergo, it is on the podcast. So Yeah, because if it did go well, you wouldn't be covering it. Exactly. So. You may have seen, if you follow aviation news, like some people sitting at the table. Nicholas. Hello. That some aircraft recently have been making 360 deviations on their flight path, mm-hmm. but deliberate 360s so that everyone on board could see as they flew through the northern lights. Yep. These that's like different though. I'm like a combination those, like, of I hate it and I love it. Supposed right to be that so. way though. Like those flights are supposed to do that. Kind of. So with these Northern Lights ones that have been happening, it is happening mid-flight. Like they didn't request it as part of their plan, but because the Northern Lights are such a thing, all they do is request a 360 from air traffic control, and then they do it. 
not that big of a deal. Hey, yo, we're going to spin around real quick. Yeah. And the whole thing with that, too, is it's not abnormal still this in this day and age that sightseeing airliner flights happen. But the big difference between this accident and the current sightseeing, quote unquote, flights is that the sightseeing ones we know of are all still usually under IFR. Yes. They're planned. They stick to a plan. And that is it. And I mean, that's that's the whole thing. Not deviating off into a VFR flight plan yeah. is a whole thing. Anyway, after initially being cleared to descend to 3,700 feet, the crew canceled their IFR flight plan and decided to perform a 360 degrees around the liner, descending to 2,500, then 2,000 feet, which is too low for radar to pick up. Mm-hmm. The two planes were on different frequencies. The Beach 1900D was listening to the Loria approach frequency in the Cessna 177 was on contact with the Kiberone AFIS. The pilots of the two planes were unaware of each other's presence. Presence? Presence. Why did you go make that French? Because this happened in France. Exactly. (laughs) I'm trying to be dramatic. Okay. Let me have my moment. No. God. Okay. Both aircraft were operating in Class G airspace. The Beach 1900D was stable at 2,000 feet at the end of the turn, and the Cessna 177 was descending from 3,000 to 1,500 feet. So they were, we've already talked about this, but the Beach craft was Mm -hmm. circling at the same altitude, and the Cessna 177 was descending, and it descended into the Beach craft. The crew of the Beach 1900D was aware of being in airspace where VFR aircraft could operate and close to Kiberon Aerodrome. In addition, Lorient Approach Control had informed him of a heavy VFR traffic in the Gulf, Kiberon and Belay. Is that right? I don't know. I'm not looking at it. The captain of Beach 1900D had distributed the tasks on board the aircraft during this phase of flight. He had to look outside while the co-pilot, the pilot flying, took care of the trajectory. The captain had in view two other aircraft in evolutions around the liner and lower. The collision occurred while the Beechcraft 1900D at the end of the turn was resuming its route towards L'Oreal Airport. The Cessna 177 was equipped with a transponder, which was not in operation. The last finding. The TCAS of the Beach 1900D had been dismantled because it was not approved in France. Is another what? is yeah. another reason that they cared that the transponder wasn't on because the transponder could have told TCAS that they were there. But the TCAS wasn't even f- working. Because it wasn't required in France. Not only was it not required, the one that they had installed was not legal in France. That's so stupid. That's really stupid. Isn't yes. Beechcraft a France company? No, no. Beechcraft is from the U.S. It's is a it? company now, but it's from the U.S., yeah. Okay. Probably. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have helped the situation. No, gosh, no. Mm-mm. If the other plane's transponder wasn't on, it wouldn't have mattered. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. I don't know why this was a notable finding, but sure. They, you know what? I, I have like found like crossing T's and dotting. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it, investigative authorities just like to throw stuff in there to be like, just so you're aware. That's like why I didn't thing. talk about it. I'm like, that was irrelevant anyway. I feel like they're like the report's not long <laughs> enough. We got to get rid of all the contractions and add this last thing. This is part of why you're here. So we're like, please help elongate the episode. I'm helping. <laughs> Probable causes. The collision is due to the absence of visual detection of the other aircraft by each of the two crews in an uncontrolled Class G airspace where anti-collision relies exclusively on external vigilance. Also known as see and avoid. See and avoid is an important thing. Very important thing in aviation. It's like number one thing you learn. But in order to avoid, you have to see and they cannot see. Yes, and that is key thing. 
The flight regime and trajectory change decision placed the Beach 1900D crew in an improvised and unusual flying situation with a public transport aircraft. Yeah, yeah like maybe don't do that. Yeah. Yep. The following contributing factors have been identified. One, the pilots on different frequencies were unaware of each other's presence. What? When you're not on the same frequency, it's hard to know the other exists. It's crazy how that works. Two, the pilots had their attention focused on the liner Norway. A.K.A. La France. La France. Yes. And apparently the Blue Lady as well. Yes, yeah, it's also the Blue Lady. Weirdly, we'll yeah. get into that in a second. Three, the organization of the activity in the cockpit of the Beach 1900D and its ergonomics did not allow effective monitoring, especially towards the outside of the turn. Which is a really fancy way of saying the captain couldn't see it because of the way the cockpit was. Yes. The okay. way it be. But Again, you, that's a whole you know, half. they have to adjust their ties as they speak, so yes. they got to sound fancy. <laughs> Again, that's a whole half of see and, and avoid. avoid. I know, it's two steps. The seeing. <laughs> and then the avoiding one. part. Right, seeing is step one. If you don't have step one, you can't do step two. What? Four. The blind spots of the Cessna 177 probably obscured the Beach 1900D from its pilot during part of the approach of the two planes. The other part. See and avoid. See. And then avoid. (laughs) Got it. Avoiding didn't happen because seeing didn't happen. Yep. (laughs) Five. The position of the sun may have interfered with the pilot of the Cessna 177. You still can't see. And you still can't and avoid. You can't avoid. Yes, we've still fixed no and problems. And number six, the final one. The Cessna 177 with its transponder switched off could not be seen on its radar screen by Lorient controller. As a result, he was unable to give traffic information to the crew of the Beach 1900D, which wouldn't have mattered because he right. wasn't doing that anyway. Again, with the, was, we don't think this matters. He was visible if he had his transponder on from where he was, but he was descending and they were below radar for L'Oreal anyway. So it they, didn't matter. I, None of it so mattered. So you mean to tell me that they couldn't see and avoid? And therefore couldn't avoid? You are what? correct. What? Okay. I didn't see that coming. Ha! Boo! <laughs> Recomendaciones. This is I don't know French. how to say French. <laughs> <laughs> I literally was like, someone's going to, fr- Christy was going <laughs> to judge me for not saying it. I don't know what it is in French. You were right. Yeah, that's me neither. Recomendation. I don't know. No. Hold on, we gotta look it up now. It's probably a whole other word. Recommendation. Recommendation. There you go. You were pretty close. Yeah, you were far off. There you go. All right. The investigators show that the crew was informed of the presence of the liner Norway by a passenger. Throughout the descent, exchanges on the position of the Norway took place between this passenger, probably standing in the frame of the access door to the cockpit, and the pilots. These dialogues and their presence may have influenced the succession of decisions by the crew, leading them to cancel the IFR flight plan and leave the planned trajectory to fly over the liner at low height. You can probably just skip to the bold part. Yes. Consequently, (laughs) woo! The BEA recommends that the DGAC, which is the FAA of France, ensure that the paragraph of whatever it is that they have in France (laughs) is correctly understood and applied by operators. The BEA considers that the provisions adopted should specify in particular. (sighs) I don't know what any of this is because it's like paragraph C, paragraph A. We don't know what that is because we don't have the, the stupid manual open. That outside the cruising phase, access to the position must be limited beyond members of the crew, only to the technical personnel of the company and official organizations within the framework of their professional activity and the access door to the cockpit of public transport aircraft when it exists must be closed. Don't let passengers in the cockpit. Yep. Yep. That's it. That was a lot of words. 
Fun fact, they are not required on 121 operators' doors to the cockpit. Yes. Because not all aircraft can be equipped with doors. It is also worth noting that part of the reason there was not a door here, you may have noticed there were no cabin crew. Right. It's one of those aircraft that probably has a curtain. If that. If that, yeah. But the whole thing is that the cockpit crew were the safety crew, basically your cabin crew. They Like they had you. to do the safety briefing. If you had an emergency in the cabin... They had to be the ones to help you. They had to be accessible. So that's why, and even today, 121 operators are not required to have a cockpit door. However, depending on the aircraft, basically, legally, they should. Yes. That's kind of crazy. So the next one has to do with the fact that they canceled their IFR clearance to see the Norway. Yeah. They recommend don't do that. Don't (laughs) do that. They recommend that companies carrying out public passenger air transport to set the flight regime for each route, the IFR regime being preferred, and any decision to retain the VFR regime must be justified and the specific conditions to guarantee the safety of the flight specified. So don't do it unless there's an emergency. To prohibit canceling IFR except in cases of necessity. Like an emergency. Yep. Fact. Sightseeing? Not Not an emergency. emergency. No, it's not. To ensure that... In the instructions intended for the crews and in the documents which are given to them, safety appears systematically and very clearly as the priority element to be taken into account before any commercial concern or profitability. So how is this going to affect the passengers in any way possible that could make them unsafe? So this has to do with the collision and Class G airspace, blah, 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 blah. They recommend that as soon as possible the DGAC take steps so that the crew of any public passenger transport aircraft and IFR can be aware of any aircraft representing a potential risk of collision. This objective could go through the following three complementary axes. The establishment of appropriate airspace classes or specific airspaces during the protection of published IFR trajectories. So it's like how we have uh, Bravo mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. we have What's the other one? Charlie, we have them Charlie. all. I mean, we got Charlie, Delta, Echo, yeah. Bravo, and Golf. Those um, are the big ones. But like having proper IFR, I mean, not that any other of the general aircraft were flying above where they should be, but they were just like, make sure that that's like clearly. Yep. That's what it should be. Yep. Equipping aircraft carrying out passenger transport with TCAS without waiting for the deadline set by regulations. <laughs> yeah. Like, Don't wait. Yeah. Just do yeah. it. No, just do it. The obligation to use the transponder with altitude report for any aircraft flying above suitable reference levels. These were accepted, these recommendations. Yes. And then the last one has to do with the transponder on the Cessna being off or not. Like, they couldn't see it. I don't know if they would know specifically if it was, like, not in use or if it wasn't working. They determined it was off. Did they recommend that it be on? Probably. Not just that, but they recommend that arrangements be made to draw the attention of general aviation users to the terms of the RAC 1-05 of the Aeronautical Information Manual relating to the procedures for using transponder modes and codes for VFR flights, and that no ATC body, civil or military, asks or suggests to a crew to stop the transmission of their transponder except for safety reasons. So these were also accepted. Yes, this is something that was already technically important place in the U.S. for depending on the type of aircraft you had. This has changed a lot over the years, but basically transponders are required on 
almost every aircraft in the United States, and even more so now we require ADS-B, which actually is basically TCAS for every aircraft, not just commercial aircraft, which is a wonderful thing. But there are still caveats to that. If you have a personal aircraft that you only fly in class echo below a certain altitude, you still don't have to have a transponder. Isn't that a crazy thing? But when we're flying around with Brendan, he doesn't have TCAS on a 172, but on his iPad, because of ADS-B, he can see nearby aircraft and... He can see basically everything. Yep. And he can see, therefore he can... Avoid! The two (laughs) steps. There you go. Okay, it also so, works when driving. Let's talk, turns out. Let's talk a little bit about La France. Yes. Okay, the, the SS Norway. Norway. The AKA Norway. Blue Lady. The Blue yeah. Lady. Because apparently it was blue. It was blue. It was blue. It was at right one blue point. ship. Yes. At one point. So it started off as a French passenger. Yes, it was ship. old. It was christened in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. It, oh, it's it real went old. from it France to New York for a while, and then jet mm-hmm. airliners were like a thing. Yeah. And like. <laughs> Way easier to travel over the ocean. And so she was actually decommissioned in 1974 or 1978. Hold on. In the <laughs> 1970s. It's, it's quite confusing to figure yeah, out. So I saw everything, too. I looked at she it. She was decommissioned in 1978. Um, She wasn't doing cruises La France anymore. She was just mm-hmm. shipped. And then they sold her to the Norwegian Cruise Line and she was recommissioned after that as the Norway. And here's the thing that I read that I was like... Okay. The T. Spell the T. She began her maiden voyage to Miami that same year, so the year that she became the the, the Norway. Norway. And that's where she mostly went, and she was very popular for people. And then, during one of her uh, <laughs> voyages to Miami, there was an explosion on board Ooh. Oh, from oh, the no. boiler. Oh, fun. Oh, no. Those are not small, usually. Yeah. On May 25th, 2003. So she was like, she was Norway for a while and she was used for a long time. After docking in Miami at 5 a.m. on May 25th, 2003, Norway was seriously Mm -hmm. damaged by a boiler explosion at 6.37 a.m. that killed eight crew members and injured 17 as a superheated steam flooded the boiler room and blasted into crew quarters above the raptured decking. No, thank you. That is like... passengers were injured, but... That is like the worst kind of injury. The National Transportation Safety Board... Oh, the NTSB. ...determined that the probable cause of the boiler rupture on the Norway was the deficient boiler operation, maintenance, and inspection practices. She was an old ship. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like old airplanes. You have to keep up on maintenance on old ships or they become really dangerous. Yep, that all sounds familiar. So after that, Norwegian, the cruise line, NCL, sold her, decommissioned her first, and then sold her to another company, which had called her the Blue Lady. She was sold in April of 2006 to Brigend. Shipping Limited of Monrovia? I don't know. Wow. Liberia. So she was sold to Liberia. Okay. And renamed the Blue Lady in preparation for scrapping. So she was never sailed again, but she wasn't scrapped until 2008. And then she was brought back to her homeland, where the bow of her ship is in... uh, you can see it at port at one of the yard Paris yard hmm. like yacht club yards. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And if you want to, you can fly around it. Yeah. Yeah. In oh, 2009, God. the tip of the bow of the Blue Lady was returned to the country of her birth as one of a catalog of auction pieces removed from the ship before scrapping commenced. The auction was held in February, whatever. 
It's in display at Paris Yacht Marina, Port de Griel, Grenelle, whatever. It's in Paris. Okay. <laughs> French. Yes, yes. Are you done? Yeah. So there are several media appearances of the vessel. Okay. I don't know why we just got into this, but I'm on the Wikipedia page too. <laughs> we got into it for fluff. Yep. Yeah. Gotta get rid of the contractions and I'm, add a bit. I'm not yes. reading all of these because there are quite a few. La France was the ship that Elton John crossed the Atlantic Ocean in September 1974 on and wrote the music to Bernie Topon's for the Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy album. Oh, right. Interesting. That's cool. On the ship's piano. Huh. Love that. Wow. In 1983, Anne Murray and guest Richard Simmons, Eddie Rabbit, and Luis Rodriguez perform musical numbers while aboard the Norway for a TV show called Caribbean Cruise. Fitting name. Fitting. Very fitting. In 1986, French singer Michel Sardou released a single called La France about the end of the ship that was a huge hit in France and French-speaking countries. The Today Show spent a week-long cruise aboard the Norway in 1986. Cool. On July 30th of 1998, at the request of a passenger, <laughs> there was oh, a mid-air no. collision. There was a mid-air collision. The event I, I was, don't like the way that's worded at all. <laughs> the event was chronicled in the Canadian TV series Mayday, Season 16, Episode 5, which is Air Disaster, Season 10, Episode 5, Deadly Detour. In The Simpsons! <laughs> really? Episode, season 25, Episode 12. Diggs originally broadcast on March 9th, 2014, the episode's couch gag featured an animation by Sylvain Chaumet. A picture of La France replaced the picture of the boat. Interesting. La France was also seen in the 2015 animated feature, Minions. Really? <laughs> like the rise of Gru? As the Minions leave the water in New York City in 1968, the France is seen in the background. Wow. Okay. This boat has just also, got some serious fun pain. Fun fact about Wasn't La France. ready for that one. Yeah. So she was actually the biggest passenger ship until the Queen Mary. Yep. That makes sense. In 2003. That's a long time. Yeah. She was a big ship, which is why she sailed for so long. And yeah, that's yeah. why it was such a big deal to go see her in Kiberon Bay, apparently. Yeah. She was, uh, it said on here somewhere, I don't have time to look at it, but she was... Bigger than the Titanic, yeah, yeah, right, which is a huge thing, and, and she, she didn't sailed hit an iceberg. Yes, hey, also that's a that big important thing. Didn't sail toward Newfoundland, so nope. Which is where Titanic sank, by the way. Check by the way, we off. we have to talk about some Newfoundlanders in the uh, post episode. Yes, we do. Yes. So I don't remember the airline. I just know this is a collision. <laughs> Proteus. Proteus of all things, why is it called Proteus? What a name! I don't know, Nick. Why is it? I don't know. Proteus Airlines. I'm I'm not Wikipediaing, but don't. I'm not going. It's not <laughs> worth it. It's not worth it. It's a small airline that doesn't even exist anymore. It's all that matters. Proteus Airlines Flight 706. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that and the rambling rambles of the ramble. Rambly. As always. You thank should... you, Kaylin, for joining us. Yes, yes. Thank you. I enjoy coming over here. Good. You should check out the Patreon, like yeah, Kaylin did. Stuff so you can listen to our adventures with Newfoundlanders. Plus, you'll get to hear all our silly. Uh, Laughter, because I know some of that's not going to be in this episode. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. It's, it's going to end up cut. in the, the Thanks, blooper Paige. reel for sure. <laughs> we appreciate you, Paige. There's so I've much stuff. I've never met you, but I appreciate you. So much stuff in the blooper reel from this, I'm sure. <sighs> Gotta love it. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you have a safe and healthy week, and we'll catch you all next week. Keep your speed up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com 
where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by all three of us and edited by the beautiful Paige. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.